Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm the host, Daniel Burkholder, a dance artist living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the ancestral and unceded lands of the Ho-Chunk, Menominee, and Potawatomi peoples. And today I'm truly excited to share with you uh, my conversation with KJ Holmes. In many ways, KJ was my main teacher of contact improvisation, mostly while I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area many, many years ago. Um, we talked a little bit about it in our conversation, but during that time, I signed up and took every class and workshop that I could with her, and it deeply influenced and informed my approach to contact improvisation and really my approach to improvisation in general. So needless, needless to say, I'm thrilled to bring you this conversation with KJ, who I think is really one of the most important contemporary improvisationally based dancers working today. I really, really deeply respect her approach to improvisation and I love to see her in performance. So before we jump into the conversation, here's some details about KJ. KJ Holmes, dance artist, performer, teacher, has been exploring improvisation as process and performance since 1981, traveling nationally and internationally, teaching, creating, and directing. KJ currently teaches at the New York University Experimental Theater Wing, Movement Research, the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, and her own private classes in yoga, somatics, and Ayurveda. Recent projects include performing in the film, in the film Readout and the performance installations Catasterism in Three Movements by artist Matthew Barney. Choreographing and directing Somatopia on the Polish dance theater group Living Space Theater, and continuing to develop her solo and an immersive 900 Bs are humming. I hope you find this conversation as delightful as I did. Enjoy. Hi, KJ. Thanks so much for joining me in this conversation today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm very honored you asked me. Oh, of course, of course. I remember, you know, I think when we really got to know each other, when I got to know you is when I was living in San Francisco and you were coming to San Francisco and teaching those workshops. And I think you were doing maybe your BMC training at that point. And, yes. um, and yeah, I remember you finding all these different spaces to have workshops and classes and I took everyone I could. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's a good memory. Yeah. I yeah. That time. Yeah. It was, it was a lovely time for me as well. Um, I guess to start off the first kind of real question I have is, um, could you just tell me about your current improvisational practice, how improv shows up in the work you do and in, in the life you live right now? Yeah, I, um, I think a major place where it shows up is through my teaching. I mean, interesting. I mean, I, I really look at teaching as a, a primary part of my art making, mm -hmm. not like I use my students as material but I constantly, um, I am always learning from my students and I'm improvising with an evolving form called improvisation, which I think is a um, incredible uh, approach to working with the uncertainties of the world, but also really grounding oneself in the knowledge that we have mm. to, to meet moments that are unexpected and um, uh, so yeah, I think teaching does that and I'm teaching right now, um, I teach at the Experimental Theater Wing of NYU, so I'm, I'm teaching movement to actors, and then I also teach 
I have an ongoing Saturday class at Movement Research for years and years. And, and then at the, at the, the current time, I've been working on a, an, a piece that is um, imp improvised within a, a score of images. Hmm. And I, I continue to research it through um, showing it. I mean, I think a lot of my improvisational performance work is, is uh, rehearsed. I don't really go in the studio so much to practice, but I do a lot of uh, um, understanding what a method might be in the current uh, focus by doing showings and, and uh, performing as a work in progress. And yeah. so um, I, don't, I don't know, this, that's somewhat what I'm doing right now. I continue to work with contact improvisation as a, a, a very important um, skill but it's not my primary practice. It's really part of the larger sense of um, uh, understanding the, the mechanics of the body and also how to create um, dimensionality and volume of, of movement. Uh, somatics is a very important practice. I guess that's the word it is now. It used to be called release technique. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm also very influenced by, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner. Yeah. Uh, a, a South Indian form of um, nutrition and lifestyle, as well as a mm -hmm. yoga teacher and practitioner. And something that I've been playing a lot with through um, approaching uh, improvisation, that, that the word soma uh, is, it means the body in Latin, mm -hmm. but what it means in Sanskrit is the nectar of the gods. And mm -hmm. it really, to me, it has a lot to do with um the imagination that we have in our body so that the soma is learning the facts of the body as a mover and also um, as a creator but also the fictions that we can hold that we hold in our body so yeah. that we can open up to new capacities so i'm, I'm i improvise a lot with that that's a lot of information <laughs> yeah that was it's great I, I feel like all right now we have our conversation laid out for us because we can okay. just back each of those things um i guess like starting um maybe with somatics and um, this idea of the fiction of the body, the nectar of the gods, like like how does that show up, like say when you're either teaching and or performing, like in a more, like how does that manifest itself in your practice, that idea, those ideas? I, I think uh, to go into different body states that uh, like to, to explore the, yeah, the instrument of the body, how do we play it? Um, how do we understand that the body is also a source for creation? And so if, I, if I'm engaging with a particular quality based on um, like a, a particular system of the body, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'll say this word, it doesn't necessarily mean it's dramatic, but like a certain kind of character will, will uh, arrive from that, that will, mm -hmm. will then bring forth um, a narrative perhaps, not always a narrative, but maybe an image that I can then develop because I'm very interested in the kinetics of improvising, the kinetics of dance, but I am really interested in um, how am I creating some kind of um, relational uh, entry into, um, uh, I, I guess I'll just say like narratives. I mean, it's not yeah. narrative, but it, it becomes a narrative. And, yeah. In some ways. So the somatics, I think, of fiction and fact um, 
surprisingly will bring out different uh, personas in a way. Yeah. 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 That, that, I mean, the, the word narrative is always really interesting because I think in some context that means something like a linear story, but, but I think the way that I often think of it and I think other people I know use it, it's a, it's a little broader statement of like a sense of progression or a sense of change or evolution, a sense of maybe character, but not necessarily like, Oh, you're pretending to be an old woman, but just like a sense of, yeah, as you said, like quality of of a thing, of a person, of a being um, yeah. that kind of locates what's happening on stage in a way. Yeah, I think that the idea of what you're saying is is very, um, um, is, is, very, is very right, right on, I'll say, um, the idea yeah. of it not being linear. <laughs> and I think that the idea of, Play with time, which is not an unusual thing for dance or theater, but through the studies with like Steve Paxson, who I've worked with for very for a very long time, and also with Lisa Nelson, Steve being the uh, a primary mentor of contact improvisation and other forms of solo improvisation, and then Lisa Nelson, the work that she has developed called the tuning scores, the idea that time isn't linear, that it's very it's spiralic, that how long doesn't how long does something last? Like an image of what you're actually within before it changes or um, uh, ends or, and begins again. So like to really, the, the more uh, practiced I am at improvising and working with time and space and weight, three very important considerations that I'm, I play with lately is that I'm also monitoring myself uh, as, a, as a composer within the improvisation yeah. so it's it's not just the linear i mean even music you can read it on a page but the the notation of it the cadence the i, I love the idea of uh how to play the instrument but how to play um like a child but also how to play as as a drama the play is a drama mm -hmm. in a certain way oh yeah right right i mean that's yeah the play has such a lovely multitude of meanings in our language right so I kind of want to jump actually to something um, that, I, you know, I was looking at your website and stuff like that. And, and I know this about you, but I was reminded reading about the importance of not only dance and movement to you, but also singing and poetry. And um, so I think this is a little tangent, but, but I want to come back to something you said, but I, I kind of want to get this part in, like, could you talk about the relationship between those things and, and how, do you see them all as like part of the same practice? Are they different facets? Are they a reflection of one another? Or like, what's the relationship between movement, dance, singing, vocalizing, writing, poetry? Um, yeah, they're all part of a, my greater expression. They're all really important. And at times they can all be woven into some... Uh, held in, in one container in a way, but then they can also be very separate. Like you know, I sing separately then, and I write separately, but the weaving of them is so important. And it's interesting because with teaching on Zoom, yeah. which we, we all had to do, you know, in the middle of a semester or in the middle of a, a season, yeah. um, one of the most important things that I learned and I, I really was very appreciative of of having that kind of time was the importance of language which I know 
But the poetics of leading somebody, uh, a student, on a screen or in person, to a place that's really underlying language, it's so, it's so, for me, it's essential that the image and the, the words uh, almost create a sense of, um, again, the narrative isn't so important, but the poetics are, because it, it's giving a, a place to be for the actual movement mm. to occur, which is within the body through language, but then also within uh, taking in uh, where we are, the environment, the, the landscape. Um, writing is so important be, to go from moving to writing is, has been a really big practice through my studies. The, the writing itself can be a continuation of a movement practice. It can describe in uh, ways that you didn't expect what was happening. And it's also a map back to the mm. actual movement. Yeah. So perhaps when you're improvising, you're not quite like, you know, trying to remember everything you're doing, but the writing itself for me, will then instruct me about where I, I can go back to and what was important about it. And then the reading of the writing, the vocalizing of it. Um, I was actually working um, with some scores, uh, uh, duet scores with my students at NYU last, uh, yesterday. And when you work on a, when I work on a particular um, focus and then have my students talk, how is the voice influenced by what that exercise was? Like if we're running around, I mean, it's kind of obvious, if we're running around and doing something very like, bloodful yeah when we talk we're gonna have a whole other blah, 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 blah. or if we're working with something else like very um much about time and you know longevity sustaining the voice will be really different mm -hmm. and you know vibration uh vibration is said to be the earliest pattern and vibration is sound and vibration is movement so where they um they're not separate but then you can separate them but, uh, and for dancers too, right now, I think it's so important that they find their voices. No, I think we all have to find yeah. our voice, I mean, and speak. And that's language for that. And then having the power of the body under, underneath that. I mean, in our lives and, and also as, as, as performers, like art as a really powerful force right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I, um, yeah, I'm, I've I've always found like for me a real deep connection between moving and and writing and poetry specifically, and so that I always felt like they were kind of in a way mirror images of one another, you know, mm -hmm. or different expressions of the same source, you know, and um, yeah. So I, you mentioned the new work is is that the. 900 bees are humming yeah work yeah, yeah. yeah. so um I, i'm a beekeeper oh so no <laughs> we we don't this last season we did not have a hive but um because it didn't make it through last year's winter unfortunately um but for a number of years um in our backyard we have a, a beehive that I Amazing. attend and um, much to the chagrin of at least one of our neighbors, but it's, I think it's all good now. Um, <laughs> so I have a, I have a definite, like when I saw that 900, I was like, oh, bees, I love bees. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I was reading a little bit about it and stuff. Um, you mentioned 
So I don't know, could you describe that work a little bit? Like, because since this is your current kind of one of your current interests, could you describe what that work is or becoming or might be? be yeah. Becoming. Becoming, <laughs> becoming, but um, bump. I know. See, that's where the play of language is. And, and, and you know, it, it does bring in what you just said about poets, like the influence of, of, of other writers comes in so mm -hmm. much um, to my work and, and in this work as well, the, the, to, to read a, a poem or some prose or even some discourse, uh, somebody else's mind uh, making sense that um, influences um, my thinking and thinking being physiological, I, I believe, you know, it's a dance. Um, so the, the 900 bees are humming, it, 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 it began when I was teaching in Sweden in, um, I think it was 2018. And I was, uh, we were in the countryside near the, the Baltic Sea and I was going to teach, it was a week long workshop. We were all in residence together and I wanted to teach an outdoor class. And I went walking through the forest and nothing was there, no electrical lines, no, um, no, no billboards, you know, anything like that. It was really quite pristine and, 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 and beautiful. And I heard this buzzing sound and I couldn't figure out what it is, what it was. And I finally walked towards it and there's a, a wooden placard where it was written that this, it was an enormous oak tree. And it said, this tree is 900 years old and it has taken 300 years to grow 300 years to live and 300 years to die. And mm. it's in the process of dying, even though it looked pretty <laughs> healthy. And while it's dying, bees live inside the tree and live off of the decay and create honey and, or they, you know, bring it elsewhere. And they, and, to, and it was like, a re, it just stopped me in my tracks. Like that idea of um, probably, you know, having gone through some personal loss that year and um, kind of looking at, well, yeah, the, the obvious sense of like birth, death and transformation and, you know, and, and that which is so I'm looking at my window right now and all the, the trees, I haven't been here in a couple of weeks and all the most of the trees are bare, you know, the leaves are on the ground and like that just a sense of recycling and, and it just woke me up to like what is happening in the interior when you don't know and you, you think something is one thing and then you're, you're able to watch um, and feel something else like endings to beginnings and uh and that just really it sparked something in me that kind of gave me life I mean, it was really like this incredible and it, it brought up a lot of um like the desire that i have very often is correlating human nature to the larger nature of the environment being really concerned you know as most of us are about climate climate change and and the demise of the bees and um the, the, the need for bees to keep our lives um, to their process so important. And then I got into reading about mythology of bees and um, I, it was just something that really sparked me. And a lot of images came from that as well, um, particular mm -hmm. characters and costumes. And um, mm -hmm. so I've been developing it um, as a movement process. And I, I worked with a cellist in Argentina and we did some showings um, and he's been making music for me. So that the buzzing, like there, there's one image, I think it's in the in Hindu mythology that the, the 
uh, I forget the name of the Indian goddess of love, uh, but her lute is, the strings are covered with honey and her mm. lute is played by bees. So there's something like, there's just like this, it's so rich or like bees are the messengers from the underworld or, um, you know, just that it, there's something very rich in that. And um, I made a film uh, over the last year, a very short film um, and showed it at Dance Space Project. And um, so at the at this moment, I'm working with three different elements and three different characters, and I want to make an installation. So there'll be a film and uh, also live performance. And my most recent thought, my most recent thoughts are that I'm going to actually have, I'm, I'm going to ask two other people to, it was, it's been a solo with the, well, with a cellist, he lives in yeah. Argentina, so it's a little hard to work. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm starting to imagine it like as a trio of having two different, two other women involved in it. And then I have a, an idea of a choir. Because when I performed it as work in progress, I, I always end it with having the, I conduct the audience in a three-part ha harmony of humming. Oh, nice. And so the audience themselves become part of, uh, of the performance. Yeah. And I'm moving with their influence. So, which I do oftentimes, I like to really engage the audience. So that's that's where it is right now, and I'm I don't have any. I'm I'm hoping to complete it because I also have another idea for something else I want to work on, and um, yeah. uh, but I I don't have any venue or anything like that right now. So I might produce myself. Right, right. As but a, it's yeah, it's been really very beautiful to research and um, dig into myself and. Uh, feel the movements that can come from the interior. Oh, and I also just had a, a residency in Alaska in September, a right. week in, in the interior. So, and I was one of the things that, um, one of the characters, again, a character, um, right. has to do a lot with space and looking at scale, human scale to nature. So being in Alaska in this extraordinary interior around me and finding yeah. my interior, and using a lot of the images from that yeah. it was quite extraordinary. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that this is like a score of images. And I mm -hmm. guess like these three characters all have certain kind of interests or attributes or focuses that, that like differentiate them from one another. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing I'm interested in is like when we get to like performance and we have these scores, um, like what's what's actually in the score and how do we structure the score? Because I think we we all use that word and I think we all do something really different. Mm. Um, so I'm curious, like when you when you're going into performance, like what do you know? Like what do you know about the score and how is it structured? How is it laid out? How open mm. structured mm. is it? Like could you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's been different based on the actual showing or the performance of it, um, where I've been. Um, but often, uh, well, with this piece in particular, there, there's a very specific entrance and it starts with uh, this one um, persona that has a very a particular um, hat <laughs> and okay. a costume. And okay. um, cool. the, 
Juan uh, Ignacio Ferreras, who's the uh, cellist I work with, um, he created a, a music score for me that is in three parts, like the three three lives, like uh -huh. being you know growing, living, dying. Oh yeah, and sure. so it it has these different phases. And I I worked with it uh, the, in the spring. I had a residency at New Dance Alliance in New York City, um, and what I did was I pared it down. To, I didn't have any costumes. I didn't have any of the music. I had, and I just wanted to work with the the score of the body in time and space, and working with with the environment I was in. So I I guess what how the score works is that in I'll have. Like I know that I have this beginning and I know the ending usually is conducting the audience in some way, but in the, in the middle of it, there's, there's some transformations that happen. Um, there's vocal. I do a lot of vocal work, which goes okay. from humming to, I, I ha <laughs> had one performance where I included singing a taste of honey. Do you know that song? I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, but I sang it um, one word at a time like with long drones so yeah. it wasn't recognizable yeah. but there was something you know so i guess um for this particular piece yeah, there's a beginning there's an ending and then there are these phases where i i recognize a trans something transforming and then how i might um see where it leaves me yeah. um you know other times in my improvisations i i also work a lot with live musicians and it's it's very much about the relationship to our kinetic play yeah so this piece is highly composed yeah i mean in, like it has a film and there's costumes and right. it's, it's it's an opus i even think it's some <laughs> kind of opera or something right but then they're like the simpler scoring when working or um working in a in a relationship of like let's meet and just we'll, we'll improvise like how do we use our skills um to um play with time and space and I love that as much which I haven't done so much since uh COVID yeah because we haven't had the opportunities but um we did uh, I did perform a duet with my friend and colleague Karen Nelson uh there was a big festival contact improvisation 50 yeah. years at Oberlin and she and I we created um a duet we made in 1991 that we performed oh, wow. for the yeah. festival which is a was scored like duet solo solo duet pretty much that was it but uh -huh. then there's other things that come in and we, yeah. we know the parameters and then also feeling in ourselves 30 years have passed right and how are we independently and together um working with our experience which is yeah. not necessarily just going back into history right it's a living art form right I, yeah that's beautiful yeah there is something beautiful about that about having that ability to not try to recreate this thing as it always has been, but it's still it's still the thing, but it's the thing right now, not not this museum piece or something, right? Yeah. Um, you see, sometimes I see dance companies who hold on to repertoire and it's they're trying to keep it the same that it was. And, um, you know, and sometimes that's beautiful to see because we love to see the history and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's also like, oh, where's the breath? Where's the, the 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 space? And where's all the time that has passed as well? Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of Lisa Nelson again, who um, I remember when we I was in a, a a small company, I guess you could say, Image Lab. There were four of us, um, 
And we worked with her score of playing with uh, measuring images and but we, we conduct each other and um, tune using words. Yeah. Like, like, like remote kind of fast, you know, pause, play, you know, things like that. Right. And I remember she spoke about how she didn't want to call her work improvisation because she felt like it was, it was even, even a highly choreographed piece. And, you know, I think about this with what you're saying on, it's somewhat improvised because it's never the same. Mm -hmm. And if you try to hold it just to that, I mean, even theater, you know, you have this character and you have this words you have to say, but you, you have to constantly come back to, well, how, yeah, how am I breathing? How, where's, where are my senses? Where, where am I living right now? And um, I, I love that. I mean, I, I'm very, not that she didn't want to be called an improviser, but she was, you know, just kind of um, challenging the the difference like as if there's a difference like yeah um yeah, yeah i remember years ago studying with steve paxton when i first started working with him and we had a um we had to create a three minute solo this is like in 1983 or something at naropa okay. institute and um he asked all the students to bring a three minute solo and some people didn't believe that he was, he wanted, <laughs> people didn't do it because they're like, but we're improvising, Steve, I'm studying it because we're improvising. And then some people did. And, and then we watched each other's, I had a three minute solo. I did exactly. And it was repeatable. And what his point was, was that when you're doing that three minute solo, maybe at a minute and 59 seconds, it may not be at the same place or there might be some difference. Right. So he was having us live in, a time which oftentimes when one is improvising in performance you get 20 minutes and you know like like we've done that like it, you know yeah. we've, we've performed in dc together and yeah um but you know you, each person gets a certain amount of time and then you that's what you have because that's how it is right? people come and watch and yeah. i mean i love long time you know where you don't have to um fulfill the time but yeah so it makes me think of that yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I also, I guess I want to um, come back now. Oh, actually, the thing I wanted to, to ask about is like all, from all of that, like thinking about performance, going into performance with tighter scores or more structured scores or looser scores. But then like, and you know, you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for a while. Um, mm -hmm what how do you prepare students to do this that maybe haven't been doing it for so long mm. like like what are like what are the skills or the exercises even or the attention that you're trying to develop for someone who maybe is not very experienced with improvising but is you're you're moving them towards to be able to go on stage with you know a minimal amount of pre-known <laughs> element mm -hmm. and, and make something that is interesting to them and someone watching? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, and it, it, it changes as, you know, as the world changes, I mean, but then there's also something really basic about it. Um, the training, um, this is where I still firmly uh, believe in contact improvisation as a, as a training because I know for myself, um, being a dancer for a long time and a vocalist and um, 
always feeling growing up like as a teenager dancing that I was wearing the form and being kind of uh, at some point loving to learn uh, how to move but never feeling like I was really inside of it and then when I literally stumbled into contact improvisation based on other you know finding um, stillness through studying with um, uh, Andre Bernard teaching who taught me ideokinesis and the idea of moving and um, that contact improvisation gave me a dimensionality that really uh, uh, I felt like I was fine that landed in the movement and yeah. I think that's an incredible training and it's interesting because over the last couple of years there's so much about consensuality in in especially well, in academia, for sure, but yeah. also in my public classes are, where we haven't been able to touch because of this pandemic, but then also questions about touch and important questions to raise and how to respect the um, each individual's uh, boundaries and resistances to um, engaging in, in intimacy in that way and also encouraging them to... Um, go underneath the perceptions of what it is and to feel mm -hmm. themselves. I mean, I, I reiterate that all the time, like intimacy, the definition of it, to be intimate is to be closer to yourself. And so through it, moving with another person, you're actually feeling more of yourself. Yeah. And um, so I, and then I also find it with students, it's really important just to introduce them to different parts of themselves like anatomically this is where body mind centering uh, my yeah. training of that comes in or the work that I did with Andre Bernard or or even with Simone Forti where we were really learning a, a lot about how are we again nature and like that the more we don't know the more we know the more we don't know yeah so uh, it's really that understanding again maybe that's 900 bees as well like the, the, our interior and the relationship to that yeah and then also getting them comfortable with being seen without having to make something like to, yeah. to find these thresholds of yeah. um, transitions i mean bonnie bonnie bainbridge cohen of body mind centering i remember her talking about her early um development of the work and she said she worked with dancers because she couldn't really do that in other worlds that she was in yeah. and she said what what was important was that she worked with dancers because dancers study transitions interesting right and and, and yeah. i think a lot of uh, a, a big skill of an improviser is to be in transition without having to um make something happen i mean you can yeah but also like how how can you allow yourself to be seen in transition rather than oh i'm just going from here to there Right. It's hard yeah. if that linear world comes back in. And... Yeah. Or this idea that like transition is a place of like you need to get through that quickly to get to something that's more solid as opposed to allowing to show the transition. Like that is also something to experience. Yeah. Right? Because it's yeah. maybe not as always tangible or something um, to live in that kind of well, this is where we are now. The ground isn't so stable. So let's figure it out as opposed to let's just make a decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, teaching uh, um, about uh, 
instability is really important. Yeah. And I use I use Mabel Todd's uh, words. I mean, she wrote The Thinking Body in 1937. So she was a major pioneer. I mean, she was the first book I ever read in this kind of release work. My yeah. teacher, Julie yeah. Sandler at the New School, turned me on to her. But she, Mabel Todd writes in The Thinking Body that the human species is essentially unstable. So rather than looking for stability, we have to play with balance. Yeah. And we only continue to evolve mm -hmm. because we are playing with balance, which doesn't mean like now we have it, now we don't, or we have to like be unstable. We, you know, practical, pragmatic world. We we need stability, we need a home and food. And right. but then as a if we're gonna be the representative of other people as artists, you know, somehow artists are speaking for people that don't know how to speak that way, but wanna feel and not not in a hierarchical way. Um, but how can we express those vulnerable possibilities and enhance the strength? And that's what I try to do with the students as mm -hmm. well, and myself and my performers. The vulnerability, Nancy Stark Smith taught me that, you know, I remember in a class with her years ago, I'm like, how do you do this without being vulnerable? And she's like, you don't. <laughs> and it was like so profound it's like oh thank you, you know? right. or, or bonnie saying confusion means you're learning something new i mean nobody told me that growing up right incredible right yeah. so transitions yeah and i imagine that is such a great um lesson it's all it's always a great lesson right there's a great lesson for you uh, um when you heard it um i just know like for students now teaching students at the university level Right. They're all coming out of this. Most of them are coming out of this educational system where knowing the right answer is is the only thing that matters. Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, either you're someone who knows right answers or can make right answers or get to right answers or you're someone who's not. And there's mm -hmm. like very little space in between. So students feel successful or not successful in the education mm -hmm. system. Yeah. And manifest itself in for many of them like their inability to be in that transition place right yeah. and yeah. um <clears throat> i mean i'm really thankful i have a 15 year old daughter and i'm really thankful for some of my daughter's teachers who are i think honoring those places of not necessarily knowing but but learn like the learning like being in the learning mm -hmm. place not the knowing place mm -hmm. and um like her physics, she's taking physics right now. And her physics teacher is just awesome because it's she doesn't tell him the answer. She's like, here's some ideas. Go play with this now. Mm -hmm. you know? And and she, my daughter even says, like, I don't even care about the right answer. It's just like working on these problems is really exciting. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm really thankful for that. But um so anyway, this idea of working with students and and teaching them that like being in process, being in transition, not knowing like that um, is such a valuable skill or mm. perspective to offer them. Yeah, I, it makes me think too that as a performer, we're offering the audience that, yeah. that they're engaged with, with that, watching not somebody lost, but somebody exploring, like what, yeah. what, are, what are the options right here? And uh and in the more practice one is in oneself, 
and encourage like lineage. Like, I mean, I'm talking about all these people and your daughter, you know, you're talking about your daughter's physics teacher and you know, I was your teacher, we danced together. Yeah. But there, there's something about the, um, yeah, the, the ability to, uh, you know, I, I love teaching so much and I love performing so much and it's because there's an exchange going on. I'm not just telling everyone what they need to know or, I mean, unless that's the role. I mean, right. I can be very clear and, um, Sometimes that confuses the students because I'm so open and then all of a sudden I'm very direct. But that play between discipline and freedom is yeah. like a, such an important, that's what I hope to give the students as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, Jay, I don't want to take up all your morning. <laughs> I, I keep asking questions or, or having this conversation, but I think this is like feels like a really solid kind of little nugget for people to dig into. Um, yeah. So I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. It's so great. It's very inspiring. And thank you. I, I, again, I love what I do so much and I learn all the time. So thank you. I yeah. learned a lot today. <laughs> yeah, so did I. So thank you so much. Have a, have a good rest of your day. You too. You too. Thank you for listening to my conversation with KJ Holmes. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please check out the show notes for links to KJ out in the world and on the web. And as always, 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 please subscribe to Act React. You can find us on YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Vimeo. I hope you're able to join me for the next episode when I talk with the always thoughtful, inspiring, and provocative Keith Hennessy. Until then, please take care, be well, and live spontaneously. <laughs> <laughs>